the show today, I have Jennifer Jolly. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Excellent. Thank you for joining me today. I want to ask you lots and lots of questions. But before we do that, what do you do exactly? (laughs) (laughs) I am a consumer technology journalist at my core, and I use those skills in a variety of different ways. I contribute to USA Today, to the New York Times, uh, to a lot of different TV shows, the Today Show, CNN, HLN. I also uh, do some speaking, public speaking, and host events within, in and around the technology industry. What events have you uh, spoken at? I, gosh, it feels like everything, but let me think. Uh, I've did a big talk at the New York Times travel show. I've been on a lot of panels. I've hosted a lot of panels about women in technology, in and around women in technology. Um, I've done a lot of speaking at uh, CES, the giant consumer electronics show. A lot about um, health gadgets and sort of health technology, where it's been, where it's going kind of thing. Okay. okay. Yeah. So where did you grow up exactly? I grew up in a tiny little town called Kenai, K-E-N-A-I, Kenai, Alaska. Sounds like it's far away. (laughs) It's very far away. It's middle of the bottom of the state of Alaska. So if you think about the mainland of Alaska, there's the one part that goes out toward Canada and the part that goes out toward Russia. But in terms of the mainland, and I'm, for people just listening to this, I'm, I'm putting my fingers in a circle and where my thumbs are touching, That's the bottom of the state of Alaska, and that's right about where the Kenai Peninsula is. And my grandparents homesteaded up there. My grandfather uh, homesteaded right after World War II, and I actually grew up on that homestead, so I'm third generation Alaskan. That sounds beautiful, I love that. So lots of salmon, lots of seafood. Yeah, and the way that that sort of pivots into this world of consumer technology is, when I was growing up, I could walk places where it felt like, and I'm pretty sure, no human foot had ever walked before. It was a it was a very pioneering existence. If we were out on our fishing boats and something broke, we had to fix it. And I started working on the fishing boats at the age of seven. So we were we were um, we had a lot of. Uh, resilience, we were tough, we figured stuff out, and then also I come to realize as an adult, I come from this family of engineering geniuses, so really I feel like my dad was the original MacGyver, like (laughs) could fix anything with anything at hand, and and so when I uh, grew up and got a job as a journalist and became a, a broadcast journalist especially, that was, consumer technology was kind of the only way I felt like I could still be involved in some sort of level of pioneering on a daily basis, doing things people hadn't really done before, and then figuring out how to make that relevant to our lives. So what inspired you to pursue journalism? I have always had a freakish amount of natural curiosity. I love talking with people. I love seeing things for myself and trying to figure things out for myself. Um, really, that, that's it. I mean, my love, I really love writing. I, I love uh, communicating, communication. And what, the reason why I chose broadcast journalism over print journalism uh, in the beginning was really that because it forced you, it was the only medium that forced you to go and see things for yourself, to get out, to see it, to... To live it, to breathe it. Exactly, yeah. To, to really get to play witness to 
history in a way that not many other jobs let you do. Yeah, because if uh, I guess if you worked uh, behind the desk, you're not really tasting the air. You're not really out there. Well, and that's a big problem with what I do now. So I cover technology, right. and I work from home, and I could sit behind my laptop and and watch YouTube videos and uh, see press releases that companies put right. out, and you know I could turn stories about them. But until I actually touch something, experience it for myself, I don't really understand it. And I don't feel like I can write about it or express, you know, be a good journalist right. and, and express what I need to if I haven't right. had that hands-on experience. Right. Um, that's a good point. Now, since you've moved from Alaska to the Bay Area, mm -hmm. how would you describe Silicon Valley culture? Well, I went to college. What brought me to the Bay Area was uh, a journalism scholarship to the University of San Francisco in 1990. Okay. So I've really been here from the very beginning. I remember the first dot-com boom and bust. I was a reporter at KTVU during that time, 1999, right. 2000. Silicon Valley culture is very insular. It's a lot of people, um, creating the Kool-Aid, drinking the Kool-Aid, selling the Kool-Aid. It's <laughs> a good way of putting it. And, and that's, I think that's a, maybe the easiest way that I can sum up Silicon Valley culture. I, I think it's easy to forget who you're making these products for, who you're creating these services for, the people who you're really earning a living off of. Right. I think those people get forgotten a lot in, in the rush to technology, especially with products. That's a good point. Um, so when you first started doing journalism, you were reporting on news first, right? Yeah, and I was then technology. General assignment reporter for 15 years, okay. so I covered everything. And I started my first job on TV was in Bozeman, Montana. Oh, Bozeman. Then Missoula, Montana. I've been there. It's, it's nice. beautiful. I've driven by actually. Oh yeah, it's so gorgeous. And um, that was when Ted Turner was living out there, and so I went fossil on fossil digs on Ted Turner's property. It was an incredible experience. Right. Portland, Idaho is really nice too. That was gorgeous, and I was um, the North Idaho bureau chief during the um, O.J. Simpson trial, and Mark Furman lived in Sandpoint, Idaho. So I, know. I was, you know, 24 years old and doing live shots from Sandpoint, and on all of that. So yeah, I had some incredible experiences. I also went back to Alaska for two years and really was able to experience Alaska in a way I couldn't growing up there because you have, I saw all these villages that I flew to that I didn't have the means to fly to, get to see. I did a documentary on polar bears way back when. That must have been around 1995 or 1996. The very, very beginning of global warming. Huh. and talk of global warming. So it, it's just, yeah, it's been an incredible been a, journey. An incredible experience. Yeah. Um, and then when I decided around, let's see, 2007, that I really didn't want to do politics or crime or any of that right. anymore, that I really wanted to do consumer technology, there weren't really any women doing it, especially women you know, my age who hadn't grown up with it. And um, that was a really that was part of the reason why I wanted to do it. So why do you think uh, technology, the technology sector is still a male-dominated place? I think it really stems from we're not all that far from these are men's jobs and these are women's jobs. Right. So in, we haven't 
seen an influx of female engineers until recent years. I mean, that's still a really new um, phenom not phenomenon, but that's still a really new uh, career for a lot of women. So I think that's a lot of it. And um, it seems hard for, I have an 18 year old daughter, it seems hard for her to believe that really when I was growing up, a lot of women became teachers and nurses and you know, I mean, it, it is, it's hard to imagine that it wasn't very long ago that there were women's jobs and men's jobs and the two didn't meet all that often. That's true. I mean, uh, when I've worked at, uh, you know, coding in a company, I, I seldomly saw females. And when there was yeah. a coder female, she was a superstar because they were right? so rare. Yeah. Um, even, you know, and they encourage a lot of uh, women to work in jobs for coding and stuff, but... Now they, now, they do. women in STEM is a big topic of conversation. Right, right, right. Um, but even at CES this year, I, I, this is one of my favorite, um, like, images from CES 2020, there was a really long line for the men's bathroom. <laughs> and there was nobody in line for the women's bathroom. It's 2020, aren't things equal? But there's still four times more, well, I would say seven out of every 10 people in a room at CES, maybe even eight out of 10 are men still. Right. So I just think that we just haven't caught up with right. Right. any sort of equality in the, in the technology space yet. <clears throat> I, I think there's a lot of steps in the right direction. Right. But yeah. Yeah. Do you think it's a natural proclivity for females to like other things, or do you think there's an inherent, um, I guess, there's people who are are not wanting left women. brain, right brain, right, exactly, like exactly, math. Exactly. I, I think women are just as good at math and science as men. Okay. I, I just think we weren't really guided into those professions right. up until about ten years ago, right. and I think that even. Like even for me, I only had one child. I only have one child. But even for me balancing working full time, I was a single mom for a while. Like even that was so incredibly difficult that I don't know how anybody does it. Still to this day, I don't know how women juggle a job, working full time, being raising, mother. being a mother full time. Uh, you know, that's a huge job and, and um, you know, I think that that's a part of it too, as we see men and women distributing the household and child raising more equally right. than I think that you'll see women in more traditional men's jobs more as well. And then also the other thing that, um, you know, kind of speaks to me as a mom, tech culture is 24 seven, you are never off. And that is still the case. I could, and, I could attest to that. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. And so if you, if you cherish, um, and, and really so many jobs are, I mean, my editor, one of my editors at one of my outlets is so busy as a mom. I, I, every single day I wonder how she does it. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's still not equal right. in those ways yet. I think uh, uh, women have a special, unique power that men don't have, and that is the creation of life. And I think that's kind of, maybe that's why women sometimes have to go down the mother's lane and also do the career thing. Yeah. Because, you know, fortunately men can't do that. But. I understand what Sheryl Sandberg was talking about with leaning in, but yeah. right when she said it and it came out, yeah. I, me and every hardworking mom I know, which is all of them, we're like, damn it! If we lean in any more, we're gonna knock all of our teeth out. Like, right. how, like that's insane. Right. But yeah. 
I do agree with you definitely. There, there should be more women in, in coding and technology in the STEMs. Um, it's, it's, it's a very controversial topic, actually. It's so controversial. <laughs> and as you're asking me about it, and as words are coming out of my mouth, I'm like, shit, I'm going to get in trouble with somebody about something. I mean, the women who do technical jobs are so qualified and so talented. Really? And I still really feel like in many, many cases, women still work harder than men in whatever job they're in. Well, because they, <laughs> they, they feel like they have to prove themselves. Yeah, over yeah. and and I watch this happen around me all the time. Right. I watch women and I experience it all the time. I feel like I have to reinvent myself pretty much every year. Really? Yeah. Yeah, you can't rest on on the article you did yesterday or yeah, and that reinvention has been really hard. You know, like okay, what now? Right. It used to be like, okay, covering consumer tech, that's enough of a niche. I'm set, yeah. Exactly. And that's not the case anymore. Right, right. Yeah. Absolutely. Now it's really, there's a big push into tech culture. And so I'm, I, I constantly. What do you mean by that? Expound on that. So I used to, and I really miss, doing stories like um, uh, five gadgets to help you protect your privacy more like gadgets i used to do a lot of gadget roundups and i personally love gadget roundups because i'm a gadget geek and i love trying all these things out and deciding which ones are the best and why and did you ever own the google glasses i did me too but you know i gave them away i gave them to one of my assistants because other than being something we all talked about and made fun of each other about it (laughs) didn't have any real use in my life right yeah. I actually invested some time building those uh, little apps for the uh, Google Glass. And what's ever happened to that? Nothing. It's, I right. think now they're. I think now they're uh, moved the project to where they're going to use a contact lens. Yeah. Jesus. That's the next level. Which is okay. So I have a lot of thoughts about this, and I've tried other glasses that show you um, like a screen text. Yeah, yeah. So as you're walking across the street, you can look up and not down at your phone. Right. Like, I like that. I, I like, like that. That's why I got them, actually. Yeah. I really like that aspect of it. So that you can see without looking down at your right. phone exactly. and, and interact. But, you know, how distracting. A, I'm getting, I've reached that saturation point where I don't want to be on all the time. Right. I don't want to be reachable all the time. I don't really care to see texts right as they first come in anymore. Um, Maybe it's urgent. Well, then hopefully somebody will call me. I know that's old fashioned, but if you call me, I'll at least hear it. I have all the notifications turned off on my phone except the ringer at this point because I couldn't get anything done. And when I first started covering consumer technology, I bragged about what an incredible multitasker I was. I don't know if it's age or burnout, you know, device burnout, but I can't multitask to save my life. I can barely finish a sentence anymore. <laughs> and I know that that's just from all that constant overload all the time. Well, what, where do you draw the line between um, privacy and technology? What do you oh, think God. about that? I don't What's think there is. Yeah. I don't think there is privacy in technology. I, I, I don't think there's a way to have fundamental privacy anymore with gadgets and devices in our lives. And I, I think that this year, you know, California's already done something about that, putting stricter laws and, and, and guidelines and resources and rules in, in place. 
but I don't think we've even scratched the surface of what we have knowingly and willingly put out to the world about ourselves to be used in any way somebody can figure out how to use it. And Cambridge Analytica is the tip of the iceberg. Uh, another example of a story of that is just moving houses from one area of Oakland to another. And I'm in a, I'm in a more racially diverse area now. And all of a sudden I started getting Spanish speaking commercials on my iPad. And I really, it took me three months to figure out why and how nothing had changed except my physical location and Spanish was being spoken around me more. Right. You know, so was that a sign that my iPad was listening for more than its wake up word? Probably, was that a sign yeah. of... So the app probably picked up the voice and they could do voice to text and that text are made into keywords and those keywords are put into their ad system and the ad systems push out ads. So what I've finally narrowed it, three months of talking to cybersecurity experts, talking off the record with folks at Apple, it doesn't seem like it was an, anything being spoken. Oh. It was IP address. All the oh, folks working in and around the house were using, were, everything was in Spanish. And our IP address, they think either I've got the next door neighbor's IP address yeah. or we started all sharing these Spanish related IP address. Right. So it's interesting, there's a, there's a demographic for IP addresses, it seems like. Isn't almost. that crazy that companies, and then, you know, so then it was like, wow, okay. So data selling companies are using every data point possible on me. So that could be my physical location, the apps, Waze, I use Waze, I can't drive without Waze. I mean, I really like rely on Waze for everything. I put the Shaquille O'Neal voice. You thing. did? Yeah. That's so cool. <laughs> I had Terry Crews for a while. Right. I had Arnold Schwarzenegger, oh, for, Arnold. until he scared the shit out of me. I was, I was <laughs> pulling onto the freeway, and for anyone who doesn't know, Waze is an app. Everybody listening to your podcast knows what Waze is, but yeah. I'm but I'm surprised how many people don't know what Waze is. I asked my own mom if she knew what Shazam was the yeah. other day, yeah. and she didn't, and I huh? couldn't believe that. <laughs> my own mother, who's a really tech savvy, had never heard of Shazam. But um, yeah, so Waze is a, a voice mapping app that tells you in real time what the traffic conditions are and it'll guide you around traffic. It's brilliant. Um, but you know, Waze is looking into my location data all the time. Right. You, you know, whether it's on or off, I'm not sure. I don't want to get into any of that in this particular story, but you know, that we give apps the ability to know our location all the time. It really, it, it's great for us. It, it's, you know, convenient, but with that, we give up our habits and we give up where we live and what our our shopping habits habits are, what our religious habits are, what our our um, political habits are. So yeah, I mean, I have a story about that. I mean, about eight years ago, Samsung wanted me to work for them to work on their smart TVs, and they said they were collecting millions and millions of records from the data being uh, pushed out from the TVs. And so what they do is they're able to know if someone's in the room when a commercial is being played by detecting uh, the light or the photons in the in the space. So they don't actually record you with their camera, but they record the light, the changes in the light. So if someone's in the room, the light changes. If someone's out of the room, the light changes again. 
So they were able to detect that and know what the conversion rates and the viewing rates were on commercials. And so eight years ago, that's when I realized, wow, I'm never going to buy a smart TV again yeah. because of all this, all this data. So yeah, they definitely expanded from then to now where the, phone, the phones know where you're at. Like you said, with the IP addresses, they're listening to things that you say. A lot of times, um, I'm sure you've, everyone's had the experience where they're watching something or they say something to their friend and they go to their computer and all of a sudden they have an ad yeah. that's related to what they were talking about five minutes ago. Yeah. Have you ever had that experience? All the time. What do you think about that? Well, I've tried to figure out as a journalist, why, how? Everybody says that these devices are only listening for their wake up word. So how does that happen? And the ways that it happens are so vast and so eerily freakishly right on the money it, i mean pretty much our gadgets can predict our behavior before we can right. whether it was we hovered over that topic whether we clicked on it or not we hovered over it so the ways that these companies are gleaning this data can be anything from your location geolocation from anything you've looked at online right. anything from your browsers any of the cookies every site now asks you if it can track you right. via cookies right. um it can look at, at location and information from your photos. If you, anything that you grant access to your photos, which is half the things these days, or microphone. So um, I know there was research at Northeastern where Android apps were, they weren't listening to your microphone, but they were screen grabbing and in some cases real-time video grabbing of whatever you were doing in an app. Whether you were oh. logging on, they were getting your passwords. Oh all kinds of things. Now the app companies were saying, hey, we're just doing this to better uh, tailor things to you. And this is sort of everyone's answer of we do this because, and you know it might not be used for nefarious purposes, right. but it, but it could, could be. be, it could be, yeah, it could exactly. be. and that's the point, it could be. Right, and um, so wild. It's, it's and there's no way to hide. Do you feel like you can hide from it? If I, if I really wanted to hide from this internet digital infrastructure, I probably could, but it would take me so much time to do it. And I would have to update it every couple of months to keep yeah. myself away from, their, from this. But So at the end of the day, it probably wouldn't make any sense. It wouldn't be efficient for me to do it. And but, the, the fact that I can go to Walgreens and use my credit card to buy flu medicine, and then no, no. Facebook shows me an ad for flu medicine, an hour later, like that's crazy to me. The, I, the fact that it happens in near real time right. and is I, insane. I had a story of my friend who actually uh, Googled something like, had, he had some sort of cough, he went to WebMD, yeah. and then the next day he was, he was offered like an appointment for a doctor for possible lung cancer treatment. And he was like, wow, what's going on here? And so there, you know, even these, uh, these apps are even predicting yeah. that you might have certain ailments. Well. That's all well and good when it's helpful. And I do think that it is helpful in a lot of cases. Right. Yesterday said, it's too late. We can't go back. We can't get our privacy back. It's too late. We've right. been putting it out there for too long without knowing. And, and yeah. yeah. I mean, would you want to? Do you think there's an advantage from putting your information out there? And NordVPN makes your online data unreadable to others which means internet criminals and identity thieves are completely locked out from your private information. Once you get NordVPN, you're free to enjoy the internet in complete privacy. It has the security you need and the features you will love. Take it from me. As a seasoned software engineer, 
I would never think of connecting to the internet without using NordVPN. Go to evanwise.com slash NordVPN to get the special exclusive discount extended to my listeners, which you can only get by going to evanwise.com slash NordVPN. Millions of databases around the world aggregate this data yeah. to maybe pre- uh, give you good predictive things. If my, if my laptop or some app on my smartphone can tell me that I need to go get checked for lung cancer yeah. and that saves me from lung cancer, hell yes, it's great. If that's gonna communicate to an insurance company that I might have a a predictor for lung cancer and I won't get insured as a result, that sucks. So I, it's, I appreciate and enjoy the convenience that modern technology has brought to my life. At the same time, I lived a a pretty decent, you know, 20 years before any of this technology. I remember when cell phones came out and I remember saying, I don't want a cell phone because then I'll never be able to leave work. Now I'm living that. I'm never able to leave work ever. Even though I work for myself for the most part, it's never done and that's hard. And I think that this is the first year where I'm seeing a lot of sort of device reckoning where we're saying, hey, this thing that was supposed to make our lives easier has actually made it much more complicated. It's put too much of our information out there for too many people to get a hold of. And, you know, it's one thing to, you know, God, all of this to sell me shit. That's one thing. But if it's all of this to skew elections and re- What do you think about that? I, I, I think that that should be what a lot of the time, energy, and money is spent toward dealing with. I think I think that Mark Zuckerberg is really kidding himself if he thinks his site provides equal democracy to people around the globe. I I, I think that it's time to reel it in and use the lesson, you know, learn from all of right. these lessons. And I'd love to see a Facebook where just zero politics are allowed on it at all. What do you think about cryptocurrencies? Do you think uh, they're, they're gonna be part of the future? Or do you think there's gonna be a different type of uh, financial system? I absolutely think cryptocurrency will be a part of the future. I have no clue what that will mean to the financial structure of countries and modern society. I, I have not invested in it in myself or myself. I, I would have early on if I didn't think there was a way to lose, like so many other people, but I'm nervous about it. I, I think it's easy come, easy go at this point. So I'm I I'm a little nervous from a mainstream consumer point of view. Um, at the same time I wish I would have invested in it five years ago. Now, what do you wish you knew back then that you know now before you started? Journalism. Journalism? Oh, well, I started so long ago. Um, I have to really think about that. Journalism versus tech journalism. Uh, I, I wish I had known patience. I wish I had stayed in the smaller markets a little longer and just been more patient with myself and my career. Um, well, why do you think? You don't know what you don't know 
until you realize. <laughs> so just talking with people and, and um, I was in such a rush. I mean, this is sort of life advice to anybody in their early 20s. You're just, I was in such a rush to win Emmys and move up markets. And um, when I look back at my early career in journalism, some of the best stories I did were back then. Um, was it because you had more freedom to work on the things you wanted to? Or? I wasn't so jaded and I wasn't burned out and I wasn't in a hurry. Well, I was in a hurry, but I wasn't in a hurry like I am today where, I mean, I just have to crank, we all have to crank out so much content in such a short amount of time. If you're not making content today, you don't exist really. That's, that's my point of view. But what's also been really weird about everybody now making content is that there's no journalistic ethics or standards. And so That's many true. people can't tell the difference That's true. between content and news. And news. And I mean, people could argue, people will argue, you know, hey, n none of the mainstream news outlets really can tell the difference either anymore. Right. And what a lot of people don't know about these news outlets is that internally, they're just fighting for clicks all the time right. too. Right. So when they see some, if Buzzfeed gets all the clicks and everybody tries to do what Buzzfeed does, like right. it's. Right. It, what do you think about that? That is a really God. good question. It's, is it a moral question? Is it a legal question? Yes, yes, right. yes. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think could be done to change that? I, should it be changed? You know, a lot of people um, talk about the death of journalism and, and how much in the toilet journalism is these days. and and. I think that there still needs to be a career called journalism. And I think that we still need to teach people who want to do that job how to be the best, most unbiased journalists they can possibly be, how to report facts. The problem is anything that comes through a human filter is going to be biased in some way, shape or form. I, I tend to bias things against my own views a lot because I'm so worried about being biased for my views. It, like I would have loved to, sorry. That's okay. I would have loved to, this article that I'm working on, like, hey, do I finally have the smoking gun proof that our gadgets are listening to us all the time? I would have loved for that to have been the case. It's not, the, I can't prove that that's the case and my story's not gonna be that really good, oh my God, headline grabbing story clicks, as a result. Right, exactly. You know, the, the, the truth is always somewhat more complicated, really no matter what you're talking about. Do you think the government should regulate journalists and have them go through some sort of certification process where they have to learn and also get penalized if they ever report something that's false? And that way people know that this particular journalist over here is certified to give you the real news. That's a really good question. That reminds me of like, should should people be forced to take a test and be certified before becoming parents? That's I think point. it's a great idea, me too. but ethically, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you can't, it, it's, it would be really difficult to police. Um, because I, you and I can walk out to the front of this house right yeah. now, see the exact same thing and say different things about it. And it's our truth. Exactly. We don't mean to say something that's not true or remember things differently like so there's you know there's that intent i think if there's ever complete intent to misinform you should How be stripped of, yeah that's i mean that's and that's the problem with it if you fake a a source if you um 
lie about an experience and it's there's proof that you've lied then I think you what happens now is yeah you lose your credibility therefore you lose your job and you you know you really it's very difficult like uh, they still do that news agencies when they find out their journalists lied about something they usually fire them or reprimand them or make an update yeah on on a mistake so what do you think about people like a John Lemon or a Sean Hannity (laughs) who who purport to be unbiased do you think they're being sincere or do you think they're just don't know it I think that news has become entertainment. Okay. And I think that those shows and those people and those particular broadcasters are, they are hired and paid to shock us, to... um, Like shock jocks. Yeah, they really are. And I don't think, I mean, if you keep saying you're unbiased, you probably aren't. It's just like There's no need to say it, yeah. right. And I, it, somebody uh, on Facebook the other day, uh, somebody put a thing about where all the journalists went to school. Right. And I didn't go back and double check whether that was even true, and it probably wasn't because half the things people share on Facebook aren't even true. <laughs> um, but you know, I think that you. Sh- I think it's important to know where the journalists learn to be a journalist and although I don't think that's necessarily I, I don't think if you went to Stanford versus USF like I did I didn't go to Stanford I went to USF I don't think I'm less of a journalist because of where I went to school so I'm sort of circling back and and wiping out my own case I, I think there needs to be a job and that is a journalism job and there needs to be a more clear-cut set of ways for people to understand what they're watching right when, I mean, when I think about a, a journalist that's unbiased, you know, people say none of them are unbiased. When I think about someone, I think about the late Jim Lehrer, oh, who just passed away, yeah. who worked at the PBS for a long time. Yeah, or Walter Cronkite of the, Walter Cronkite. of the way, way back. Yeah, yeah. But I think I have known so many really wonderful journalists, and I still do today, whether it's over at KTBU, the local Fox news station. People didn't really understand. You can be an affiliate and carry programming from a station. That doesn't mean that they have anything to do with the way you do or report the news. Right. Um, especially back then when you know it was just that 10 o'clock newscast and it was the number one primetime newscast in the nation and you know there were so many different fact checkers um that's not necessarily the case these days now it's you got to be first and it is quite sensationalized and yeah and you know again like that so i would report sometimes just on what hey, a police officer told me this. I'm not saying it. I'm telling you what the police officer told me. Well, that was wrong. You know, and now, and I had to learn. That was one thing I wish I would have known early on in my career, that even if you get it from three credible sources, sometimes it's wrong. And that's your fault when it's wrong. Like, that would be my fault if I get something wrong, even if that was told to me several times by several people. And that does happen. Yeah, but I the the folks I work with, whether it's USA Today or um, New York Times, they are just incredible journalists, and I don't see journalists trying to skew things on a daily basis. I just don't see that. That's just not my experience. Sometimes there's just bad apples that ruin the reputation for the whole agency. Sometimes I think. Well, I think that in that in that rush or that desire or that need to be relevant um, 
for a news site to get all the clicks. It's a lot of clickbait headlines, misleading headlines. Um, I click on a lot of those stories thinking, oh God, yes, I want to know that. And then there's no there there in the article. <laughs> but since those clickbait. articles get clicked on so yeah. much, and it's not even necessarily like ad-based clickbait, it's now journalism-based clickbait. It's it's what people click on, so that's what we all have to try Everyone's to emulate. To compete. Yeah, talking about uh, what you said earlier was that people back then would watch the news, say like the eight o'clock news or the five o'clock news. And I felt like the yeah. culture of the country was more synchronized with each other across yeah. the nation. And I think now everything's very um, atomized because there's different news sources and it's, you don't know who's lying, who's telling you the truth. Some people are just tell, reporting things that you just want to hear because you think that's what you want to hear. Right. So it creates like almost like a, a balkanization psychologically all over the country, I think. And I think that's why a lot of people are not really clicking with each other anymore as much as they used to, I think. Well, there's such an education gap too. Just even on my own Facebook feed, the people I grew up with in my small town in Alaska, uh, if they have never left Alaska, if they're, if they're, you know, maybe have a college degree, but a lot of them have high school, right. is um, their education, and they're bright people. Just different world. They don't have the world experience. They don't have the, they can't even fathom what goes on in this neighborhood that no. I live in in West Oakland. Right. Can't even begin to fathom. Somebody on my Facebook feed from that I grew up with in Kenai was complaining that Kenai's banned plastic bags and oh, what does this world <laughs> come to? And, it, and it's so hard for me not to say that is the most ignorant freaking thing I have ever heard in my life. Right. But I have to, you know, really understand that and that and this all ties back into consumer technology. like. So we are making all these decisions and creating all these gadgets and and talking politics in San Francisco and New York, these coasts, but all that whole other part of the country may have never heard of it. They don't know. So I think, and I'm hopefully making some kind of sense here, but I think the, the education gap is the worst, one of the worst issues that we have in this country. I agree. Bar none. That education gap, that that lack of empathy, the lack of understanding of other people's worlds and lives, and I think that um, our culture has really gone to the what's in it for me. I don't know if this was different. It'd be interesting to ask my parents. Was it like this in the '60s? Was it, you know, like this so much in the '70s, where we're just so all about ourselves? Right. I don't know. I mean, I, I see a complete difference uh, from. Back in the 80s, even, till now. In, in San Francisco? Uh, I grew up in L.A., actually. I grew up in Los Angeles. Yeah. And L.A. is different when it, from what it was back then to what it is now. Because San Francisco 20 years ago to it's what San Francisco... Oh, it's a whole different, so different. I think... L.A., too. And, yeah. and L.A., in a good way, I mean, it's a lot safer now. Back in the yeah. 80s and 90s, it wasn't too nice. But now it's a lot safer, so... Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, I live now in a part of Oakland that... Five years ago, I wouldn't feel safe living here. And not that I feel completely safe now, <laughs> but uh, I would not have moved here five years ago. From Alaska to here? No, directly. from from I another know, part. If, I know, but oh, if God, from, <laughs> No, my parents are visiting us. They come for a couple months every winter, and it's still pretty hard for them to really wrap their heads around living in this much of an urban area. Yeah, I've worked on several projects all over the country, including Texas and other areas. And I went from LA to Texas. And there is some sort of charm to a, that different type of lifestyle. It's a little more 
I'll be honest with you, a lot people seem to be more honest, yeah, more sincere. But, oh yeah, in Texas, I, well, know, to pretty me, much the whole experience. world is more honest and sincere yeah, than the LA, LA culture. Well, that's the thing. <laughs> I, I had to learn that. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's what I realized. Yeah, I lived my whole life in LA for the most part, and San Francisco. So and you just temper. People will say something, and you like take the top eighty, the eighty top layers of bullshit away, and LA. realize, yeah, they might like you, exactly. not that much, that's but a, yeah. That's a good description of an LA person. Yeah. So when I, when I went to Texas, it was it was interesting. People wanted to bring me to their house. Hey, come over to my house, and we'll have barbecue, and we'll shoot guns. And I was like, I don't even know you, people. In LA, people like you just said, eighty percent of it is bullshit, smoke and mirrors. Right. right. Uh, yeah, I love you. I'll talk to you tomorrow. You never hear from them again. You're the best. Yes, yeah, I want to do all these projects exactly. with you. Blah, blah. Like, and what? And it's bullshit, right? Yeah. And, and uh, Texas people are genuine. They're, I made so many friends in Texas, by the yeah. way. But I do believe that. And you would in Alaska, too. Yeah, so my the TV station, I was the North Idaho bureau chief for KXLY, the ABC bureau, the ABC station in Spokane. Oh, nice. So I, and I did live in Spokane. I, yeah, and I think that... Um, it would be tough for me to go live now in a place where I didn't see different colors of people walking down the street. Yeah. And that's one thing that's pretty noticeable when you go to some of the different small towns in the world that like, man, I could go a week with only seeing white people. I don't want that. Yeah, it, it, it's weird. It, it's funny kind of what becomes important to you depending on, right. on your different views. And I think that whether you break it down from uh, an income perspective, a cultural perspective, uh, how you break down different parts of society. I do think it's worth companies, large companies, huge companies, taking that more into account. Oh, yeah. And and you know, I I don't think that they do. And that's so that goes all the way back to the culture in Silicon Valley. Like I just think that it's just way too insular, and it's oh, its own it little city of privilege yeah, and. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. It's true. Um, when I first moved to uh, San Francisco, I got like backlash from locals. Uh, like, first, it's like you're in the tech industry, we don't want you. Number two, you're from LA, we don't want you. So it was a, it was kind of hard at wow, first years ago. Harsh. Yeah, yeah. Well, the thing is, yeah, they, you know, t they feel like locals, like teachers who are getting paid thirty thousand dollars a year, were able to afford their homes. And now that tech, tech people have come in, they've yeah. risen the prices on homes and now they have to get kicked out. Now so, that no one can afford a home. Right, yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it's true. I mean, that's part of the reason why we bought a house in um, West Oakland, near West Oakland, Bart, first BART station after San Francisco. You know, we're hoping that this area becomes an area that people oh, want to live in someday. So, but, I mean, no, it's a, I think it's a great neighborhood yeah I, I used to live in Oakland by uh, Lake Merritt yeah and I loved it I love Oakland yeah. I, I, I love the hills the lake. And, I love yeah the, the farmers market I love the uh, you know like I said when I lived in Texas I like that but after when I came back I'm like I kind of miss this too did you live in Austin I lived in San Antonio okay have you been there yeah it's cowboy town I like I love it. it yeah I love that it's I too love hot it. in the summer it's too hot that's why yeah. I love it actually yeah. It's too human, too hot. But we looked at Austin for a potential place to move. and Brown and Rock and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. IBM's there. Yeah, a lot of companies are moving there. A lot of, you know, another place, um, my husband's brother lives in Raleigh, Durham area. And, you know, we looked out there and um, 
it's just a little, yeah, we're just not ready. Once you live, that's one thing that yeah. once you live in the San Francisco Bay Area, it is really tough, I think, to live anywhere else yeah. because you have Goldilocks weather, you do have the touching points to all these different aspects and qualities and experiences of right. life. So, uh, I did a couple of years ago travel around the country in an RV. I did it for nine months. I quit Maybe my job. Maybe that's why you're familiar. And I would look out the window and look at a bird, kind of like this, and, and wonder, how is he free? How, how does he not have to pay bills to exist? And why am I, what am I doing here? Even if I'm getting paid more than a quarter million dollars a year to code, who cares? Right. My, my life is more valuable than a paycheck. And so I took the plunge and I quit my job. I bought an RV, put solar panels, and I traveled the country, and it was the, one of the best experiences in my life that I could never buy with any amount of money. It was the idea of an open road with no plan. Go anywhere, whenever I want. Park anywhere and go to sleep. Go to, go to a national park. Go, I went to um, the Grand Canyon, I went to Sedona, Texas, Louisiana, anywhere I wanted to yeah. go and spend as much time as I wanted. Do what I want, when I want, how I want it. That to me was freeing. Yeah, and that is, that's the epiphany. That's the, yeah, um, it was an epiphany moment for yeah. me, yeah. And like I said, that, that when I saw the bird, I know it sounds like a very strange no, story, it's but I, I would, I'd be awesome. in my office, beautiful office, making great, great money. Yeah. It's just like, okay, There's I get more to life than I, money. I get to, all this money, but I get to spend, I get, it to, I get this money to spend it on things that I never have time to because I'm yeah. here in this box. Right. I love to code. I actually enjoy coding. If someone didn't pay me, I'd still do it for free. But there has to be a balance to life. And so I did that. It was like I met people. I did things I thought I would never want to do. Mm -hmm. And I did them. I pushed myself out of like a, out of my comfort zone. And I thought it was a really great thing. Um, that's interesting because I basically report and write stories and do TV segments and nobody pays me to do it, I do it for the love of it because, it, and make money doing other things, but it's the same kind of thing. Like it's, mm -hmm. I, I can't give it up because it's what I love to do. Yeah. So I that's, love, yeah. I love to do it. And it was, it was real. I mean, it was great. I mean, I was many times in the middle of nowhere. Like I remember I went to uh, Fort Sam Houston National Park. Ah. And it was beautiful, but it yeah. was it was in the middle of nowhere. I love that. And there were there were other people from Texas around there, and they were camping. And were you by yourself? I was with someone. Okay. Yeah, and then uh, but it, actually, but I had more fun probably by myself. But I was with someone. It was fun at first, but you know. Yeah, close but quarters. as a but it's just like not to, you know, yeah. keep making like circling back around to other yeah. stuff we've talked about. But as a woman, you can't really do that. That's a good point. Can't go around the country. Like, although by yourself. some women do that. Yeah. But but you it's a, there's a security issue there. Yeah. And, and I do know I I have an aunt who will go with her horses and she'll go ride in places, but you know, she has to be really she'll come across men vigilant. with guns yeah. and she'll have to say, Oh yeah, well my gun and right. whether she actually has one or not. Yeah, it's, but it's yeah, it's just thing. a, di yeah, a yeah. different like, experience. So, right. So like in that in that incident where I drove, drove into Fort Sam Houston with yeah. my RV with California plates. Shit. I parked somewhere. And I loved it. I thought it was so weird. It's so different. And I got to meet the guys who were shooting these big guns. And although, you know, most Californians were probably, you know, 
and have a heart attack at something like that. I thought it was an interesting thing. It's pretty And cool. I love to yeah. enjoy a new culture, the Texan culture, the cowboys and Indians. I love it. I love that stuff. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I, I feel like people love to travel to other countries and it's great but there's a lot of great places in America to travel to I think I think you're exactly right and I also think there are so many people who can't travel whether it's within their own town I know that there are people here in this neighborhood who've never been out of this neighborhood it's horrible ever there's so many stories I could write books and books about it, it was amazing that sounds and incredible it's, and it's something you could take with you for the rest of your life well my husband's gonna be so jealous oh, the, the wanderlust is definitely kicking uh, in really for both of us right now yeah it's it's, it's, it's amazing heavy. and so I, what I want to do is take it to the next level go to Europe for six months yeah. I actually I always wanted to go to Africa I've never been to Africa I know you're going to Africa right? I am going to Africa for the first time oh and yeah same kind of thing it's a bucket list thing um, I'm going uh, February 17th to March 5th three weeks it's the first vacation that I will have taken in 10 years I'm going there just just to go yeah. and do safari not to work oh you're doing safari yeah I'm gonna safari in Kenya and uh, gorilla trekking in Rwanda. Wow. I can't wait. It's I'm interesting. so excited. I just spoke to uh, a few weeks ago, Eric Edmonds, who's a speaker and an entrepreneur. He, have you heard of WildFit? WildFit? Yeah. He no. actually invented this type of diet that's really good uh, for people and there's a lot of great results for it. Not only diet, but you know, just general health. And he learned it from uh, living with the Bushmen in Africa. And he developed it. And he just went. To, he just went to Africa and invited me to go, but I couldn't go. Too busy on things. Oh, but yeah, next one, time, he, next time. He had one ticket left. He's like, "You want to come to Africa?" I was like, "I can't right now." But yeah. So the way my trip came about was a friend of mine up in Alaska over the summer. We were on our way to Salmon Fest, which is the little Ooh, mini Salmon Woodstock Fest. of Alaska. I love Alaska. I love Salmon. It's so cool. Um, and she travels she's a prolific traveler we have our birthdays are the exact same day but one year apart she's a year older so she's turning 50 this year i'm turning 49 um and i was asking her hey where is one place that you haven't traveled that you want to and she said africa and really want to go on safari and i said oh my god me too that's like the one place i haven't been a lot of places but that's really high on my bucket list and as we were talking about it she got a notification a ping on a travel app, round trip airfare, Seattle hey, so to it's Nairobi. Good, it's good that these devices are listening to us, right? Seattle to Nairobi, <laughs> 600 bucks. And what? she bought them on the spot. And I was thinking, I was trying to figure out how to get out of it up until about three weeks ago because I can't take three weeks and not work and do this. And you then do it. all of a sudden, you do it, yeah. I couldn't even fathom like traveling that long without my husband. And I told him that we both, my friend and I tried to talk him into going and, and he said, no, you really need to go and unplug and You're do this. It. And it's so true. I can't it. wait. Yeah, I'm really excited. I'm still got big old bruises from all the shots and stuff that I had oh. to get. Like shots on, you know, you have Before to get all the... Right. Yeah, but I'm I'm interested not to work and how even seeing if I'll be able not to work there. Like I'm not I'm gonna take an iPhone, but I'm not gonna take a tablet or a laptop, which is really freaky for me. <laughs> but yeah. I'll be, be fun. I still write a lot of stuff down, so I'll probably be scribbling notes all the so time. But you're not gonna be on LinkedIn at two AM. <laughs> I hope not. If I am, will you tell me not to be? Yeah. But I do often sleep with the phone charging next to my head. 
and every little, I, I have notifications turned off, but I, I check it in the middle of the night all the time. Um, I listen to audiobooks to get back to sleep. When I wake up in the middle of the night, I listen to podcasts a lot um, to fall asleep, to get back to sleep. So I have noticed, and it all could be coincidental, you know, just with my life and my stress and my age, but I have noticed that I'm not as creative as I used to be. And if I can bear to leave my phone at home when I go out for a run in the hills, in the Oakland Hills and in the trees, I almost always have my most creative thought of that day or that week or when I'm not around my gadgets. Do you think so, technology stumps that creative flow? I think it can if you don't have balance and I don't think a whole lot of us have balance with it right now. It's a good yeah. point. I, I think we're just burned out. I am burned out, which I is- I think most people are. Yeah. Have you heard of those things? I think it's they're called PCI. It's uh, These are uh, these retreats that they have here in the Bay Area yeah. where people who are burnt out from technology mm -hmm. go and remove all their devices and stay out there for two weeks yep. to disconnect from everything. And people pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for those retreats. I mean, isn't that what we should be doing? Like, I think about people making money that way, and it's just brilliant. Or the, or the people who um, counsel you on how to be less addicted to your phone. Like, what yeah. a great job. <laughs> Stop, Stop using it. your phone. Put the phone down. Yeah. yeah, or people in the Silicon Valley working for these tech companies sometimes in charge or the you know c-suite of these tech companies paying other people to be gadget police for their kids like ugh, really that's a thing oh yeah that's a big thing and yeah it's you know finding the right amount for your children for yourself all of that it's we're learning as we go it's really the wild west still and we're still in our infancy of that yeah well i am super curious of all the really just wide spectrum across the map kinds of people you talk to all the different people oh, what so are some of the things that, interview me. Okay. And what are some of the things that you are huge takeaways because the people so, you talk to are amazing so my thing is i believe that talking to people in all walks of life yeah give you a, a unique perspective and take on life i, I don't really focus like on a certain sector yeah or anything like that just like full spectrum yeah so that's pretty much so I, ask me questions now. So I agree with you on that. Just okay. what's something that you've heard doing these podcasts and talking to this variety of people that really sticks with you? I think the most, the thing that sticks with me about interviewing these different people are how, how they're so smart, so intelligent, and uh, their knowledge of, of what they do is so deep. And I think a lot of people don't get to... Uh, to experience that. Yeah. I really think that's that's the most important thing for me. Do you think that there's room for this kind of long format conversational journalism? Absolutely. Yeah. What do you think about journalists who are banned or deplatformed from the internet? There's there's a couple of journalists out there. Well, this the case of the woman at the Washington Post who tweeted Kobe Bryant the article about Kobe Bryant in the sexual assault case. Oh, yeah, yeah. And she was suspended. And right. you, I mean, what do you think about that? You think it's a good thing or a bad thing? I think it's insane. I think all of it's really crazy. I think that it was really. I think that she was passing on information per, pertinent to somebody's life. Was it, you know, good timing? Should she have asked a higher up? Probably. But 
does, I mean, that's part of the whole story. I think death threats and stuff like that, all the trolls that that brings out is, yeah. is more what we should be concerned with. Um, but what do you do with, with trolls? I mean, what I do with oh, them... Oh, God. Yeah, the do way you I, have trolls? I have. I've gotten some things. But you, the reality is, I think, is yeah, just ignore them. Mm -hmm. I don't really pay too much attention to them. Yeah. Uh, I can't spend too much time thinking about them. No, it'll make you crazy. Yeah. I, th I think... Somebody always hates you. Oh, yeah. Somebody always loves Absolutely. you. Somebody always hates you. Those aren't even the people you Even if it's in a job. About. Even if you're family, yeah. there's always someone out there. Somebody always loves it's, you. Somebody always hates you. Right. Yeah. So, exactly. So it's... it's they only, don't know you. Exactly. Yeah. And that's why I don't care. Right. But, um, what do you think about Julian Assange? Is he a journalist or is he not no, a journalist? he's not. You don't I think don't he's think a he's journalist? he's a journalist. No. Okay. Um, is he a teller of truth? I don't know. Um, what is it? Isn't a journalist a teller of truth? I think a journalist is somebody who has the skills and ability to report facts. And to your point earlier about a Walter Cronkite or a Jim Lehrer, to tell and disseminate information in a way that lets people make up their own minds. I feel like there's a pretty big slant to a lot of what Julian Assange does and how he does it, and it scares me. It, so you think he cherry-picks certain things yeah, I do. to give a certain narrative of his own liking? Yeah, I do. And and I think many journalists, you know, using my little yeah. bunny ear air quotes, I think many journalists do that these days. Okay. And I do think there needs to be a difference in, a, you know, a journalist and and content. Yeah. So he's not a journalist. I don't think Ju I don't consider Julian Assange a journalist. No. Do you think he should have been arrested though? God, I don't know. I'd have to. I. I haven't thought about Julian Assange in a long time. I haven't thought about this, so I don't want to say like yes or no. I just don't know. I I think that. I think I would need to go back and revisit parts of it because I haven't thought about it in a long time. Probably, I, I am not all for arresting people. I don't really know all the ins and outs. I don't remember a lot of the ins and outs of that story. What do you think? I think uh, if, if journalism is truth-telling, he, he told the truth, right? Yeah. But I do believe, like you mentioned, that if, if you're cherry-picking things to give a certain narrative in your advantage or whatever you think your side is, then are you, is it really truth-telling? And I think that's, that's dishonest. That's the question, right? It's it's it, there's like a plausible, a plausible deniability there yeah. that people wiggle in and out of. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think. Uh, what do you think about Edward Snowden? And what do you think about the idea that someone comes to you as a journalist and says, "Hey, I have information." Mm, I, it happens uh, all the time in San Francisco. Yeah. Someone who, who works in the city, yeah. and they're doing X, Y, and Z. Now, as a journalist, would you go out there and? write an article about it even though it might out someone that's very prominent in the city or what, what would you do in that case if there were if there was clear-cut evidence and proof that i felt going through my sort of journalistic markers of what constitutes enough evidence and proof i would look into it uh there's always no matter what two sides to every story Absolutely. and what i have found a lot of times when i am really uncovering some real 
some awful stuff about sometimes awful people, I almost feel sorry. I almost always feel sorry for that person. I think that there's a part of humanity that a good journalist does feel like, okay, does take into consideration and feel, is it my role to ruin this person's life? Is what they're doing so bad that I need to have the world know about it? Like, I think that we, it's a check and balance. Um, so what if, would you do? Yeah, absolutely. If there was somebody doing something, it. I would look into it. And if I found enough evidence and clear cut, and I would interview all the people, like I wanted to do this story without talking to Apple because it took me a week to get to the right people to talk to at Apple for the story I'm working on right now about whether our, my iPad is listening to this conversation or not. I'd love to do that story without a Apple, but that's irresponsible as a journalist to do it without getting something from them and yes it's a pain in the ass yes it's difficult yes it doesn't fit my narrative of wanting to say that my ipad is listening <laughs> but that's my job whether and i'm doing it without getting paid which is even crazier but that's my responsibility and i wish that more people felt that way and or i wish that more people in the general public knew that a real journalist has that ethical responsibility so did I answer the question yes, at all? Yes, you did. Yes. <laughs> it's hard for me. I love how we're just having a conversation. Yeah, it's, it's hard for me to answer questions. Yeah, that's like, why the more we yeah. do it, the more like there's this flow yeah. and that's that's yeah. actually the good stuff. So Yeah, I have more questions for you. Yeah, so go ahead, ask me. Um, do, do you, is this journalism? It depends if we're all truth-telling, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't think journalists I have the ability I mean you're only as good as your sources you're only as good as the information that you have what about an opinion piece for example you don't yeah what if you don't talk to Apple but you have your own opinion and based on certain information you could still make an article I think it needs to be a clear-cut op-ed I think most people I, I talk to a lot of young people my own um, child and stepchildren included that really don't know the difference between an op-ed and, and a real news piece. And, and they've become really jaded and turned off by journalism or by mainstream news outlets as a result. So I think that there needs to be more right. you know, more clear-cut examples of which It goes back to which. education. It's a really important thing. Yeah. Um, yeah. Lots of people don't even know what the Congress is. It's a very, I feel like a lot of people failed civics. Yeah. Well, a lot of people don't understand what's in it for me with civics. Right. What's right. what do I don't care do who gets I elected? Care? I don't exactly. care. Is it gonna am I gonna pay more in taxes? Like until they can really <laughs> circle it around to what's in it for them, yeah, it is. It's tough to get people involved. You you know, I don't That's why clickbait wins and all this this kind of stuff, right? Because they're like, Oh, someone's getting impeached, but hey, seven ways to do X, Y, and Z. I want to go there because what's in it for me? There's something <laughs> right. in there for me, right? Right, right. The, the story was circulating on my Facebook today about um, Nancy Pelosi using $150,000 in pens to sign the oh, impeachment, impeachment papers. Story. Like, oh, oh come But that on. headline gets clicks. Right. But, and, you know, a lot of people don't. I, I, go, I use Snopes all the time. I really believe in them. A lot of people don't. So where do you find the truth? Have you talked? Have you ever interviewed... Uh, Nancy Pelosi. I have, not recently, but back in the day, I used to be around her quite a bit. Do you think she's a lot different now than she was back then, or she's always kind of been the same? I haven't been in the same room with her one-on-one -on -one or even in a crowd in at least three or four years, 
so I don't know recently, but I think, I think that she is still the same person, that she still works from a, a, a code of ethics and responsibility that she always has. Um, boy, politics sucks. Yeah, <laughs> American politics is the war. It's so funny. I, I feel like, have you seen that comedian Ronnie Chang and his yeah. special on Netflix and everything? America sucks. Politics suck. Democrats suck. Republicans suck. I feel like I say that a lot and think that a lot these days. But yeah, yeah I think that. I, feel, I think everybody feels the same. I, we need to reboot politics. And right. I, Obama spoke to that a lot. And I saw. Uh, the two town halls that he did at Facebook and um, really could hear and feel that sense of, you know, wow, I had no idea how mired in politics politics was. And I, you know, the, there's, we've, we're, it's 2020 and things need a reboot. Any questions for me anymore? Um, gadgets. We didn't talk about yes, gadgets. Talk to, I want to hear about what you're really into gadget wise. Like what's, so you worked on Google Glass. You were a glass hole for a while. <laughs> exactly. What's the one gadget I've you're... I've had people try to take him off my head. Are you serious? Uh, in Venice Beach, I remember. I was out there and I had my Google Glass and the police were there. I guess two people were fighting. And I was just looking at the police doing something. And I think one of the police officers were like, You, what is that? I'm like, this is just uh, Google Glasses. Turn it off. I'm like, what's well, not on? Take yeah. it off or I'll take it off. I'm like, okay. It's, it's so interesting the um, the reaction that people had yeah. to me wearing Google glasses. It was it was I, I got like really bad. Some people were cool, like younger people were like, oh that's cool. Older people uh, kicked my, I got in West Hollywood. I was kicked out of the store, and he's like, I'm the owner of the company. I don't want you recording anything with that. Get out of my store. I'm like okay. Another time I went to a restaurant and this older couple behind me said, uh, Are you spying on us with those? And I'm like, No. So the whole time, I, you know, yeah. I got these glasses uh, at the time because I have a friend who worked at Google uh, before I started working there. And uh, I had them and I thought they were really cool. That's a really great thing. But the psychological, social impact that these wearable gadgets have, which is something I'm really interested in. I love the idea of wearable gadgets. Yeah. But the psychological impact they have and the societal impact are very interesting, to say the least. Yeah. I was really interested when of our hand, and I think that there is room for glasses, but also hearables. You know, we're hearing more about that buzzword, the little gadget in your ear that's giving you that same kind of Alexa, information. Alexa, going to be rings. in your ear. Yeah. yeah, all of that. I, I am, um, but I wish that there were earrings, smart earrings. <laughs> I could just put little earrings on and. And they would do what? And uh, answer phone calls, oh, give me all my idea. news and information, and whatever, let me hear things. But I do. I own um, the Bose glasses, the stereo glasses, awesome. and I really like those. It is weird to walk down the street talking to no one, <laughs> and you know, using that as my. Do they have the same thing that the Google Glasses had where, like, the microphone was touching your skull bone? Yeah. Same thing. Yep, exact same thing. Awesome. Yeah, but I I have not been super impressed by any one particular gadget, although there were a couple medical gadgets I was I liked this year at CES, but I'm not seeing anything that's wowing me. That might be device burnout. I wish I could see things the way I, you know, with fresh, new, unjaded eyes. Is there anything that you're super psyched about, gadget-wise? Wearable technology, really. Like, like the jean, like the Levi's jacket. I, I, um, what's that? Tell me about a, that. I can't remember the name of it, but it's 
Um, the tech is embedded in your jean jacket, so you can have Bluetooth. Uh, your right arm can vibrate to turn right, or yeah. Oh, so wow. wearables. Uh, is there anything in particular, and why? Like wearables for what purpose? Wearables. I was thinking of making my own jacket. There probably is one now. I thought about this a couple of years ago, where you would use, you know, Raspberry Pi. Yeah. It's a little little yep. little computer the size of a credit card. Yeah. Where you would have that sewed into it somehow in a really nice way and it would have uh, connected to it sensors that would detect temperature and based on the temperature it would heat your, your core body and it would detect your core body and you're, you have like a climate control jacket okay so that, probably is, something that, like that. something yeah. like that exists and Ravian was trying to do it oh nice. um, but so that would be great for you're out in the snow, you're out in Alaska, you're, yeah. you're catching fish, but you're always, your body temperature well, is always... Even in Africa, it cools yeah, you off Africa. when you're too hot, but then at night when it's freezing, it right. warms you it's up. climate control, it's like a survival thing, right? Even yeah. soldiers could wear it, anybody, really. So I was well, thinking of something like that. The, um, that's, that's something that excites me. The hoodie, the bulletproof hoodie. It's a similar concept that, that like just have your clothes protect you in ways that they haven't before, have them communicate right. in ways they haven't before. Right. But I'm... What are you excited about? What are the gadgets that you wish existed now that don't exist and you think in the future might be? I wish there was a GPS tracker for my glass, my reading glasses. Or for keys? For Well, there are little tags you can put on them, but oh, I right. wish these were even smaller. And they do have one that you can put like on sunglasses. It's about this big, but it doesn't work great and the batteries always die. But um, I wish that... Let's see, I used to really want a very simple way to, if I'm upstairs, talk to somebody downstairs without an intercom system, without smart speakers, like really, really simple. Um, but I feel like smart speakers pretty much do that now. Um, something that makes me not lose my reading glasses all the time Okay. would be great. Um, so how would that work? You would be like, I, you go on your phone. What if you lose your phone? Yeah, see, that's the problem. It has <laughs> like, to be. It's a recursive. And there's so many things. Like right now, we only have one thermostat in this house, and it's right over there. So anytime we turn the heat on, it's 500 degrees upstairs. Oh. It's still kind of cool down here. So I would love an easy, seamless way that I could have sensors in each room. Now, Honeywell does something like that, but you have to be on the whole Honeywell ecosystem. So I wish, even Sonos, so we have Sonos soundbars, Sonos speakers. I don't really like using this as my remote control to turn the TV up and down, using my smartphone as right. that. So simple little things like that are attractive to me. To make life easier. Yeah, I really want my devices to make my life easier, so I'm always interested in ways. A lot of people say a gadget does that. It's not very often the case. Right. We also really need smart lunch boxes. We need the lunch box that will heat your stuff up or cool it down automatically. Why don't That's we have that yet? A thermometer in there. Right? Yeah. That's a good point. Yeah, um, this year at CES, Bridgestone reinvented the wheel. They made a wheel that can't go flat. Why has it taken this long? Oh, and I've the, seen and those. it's prototype. I've seen those. And they're kind of like little ribs around. Mm -hmm. Kind of like spokes. Yeah. 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 So more, more of that. I like Bridgestone. They have really cool stuff. Yeah, they do. <laughs> it's really interesting to see how these companies, like even like a Charmin, Procter & Gamble, like how they're thinking about technology in different ways. You know, like the little Charmin robot that brings you a roll of toilet paper when you run out. Right. 
I mean, that's practical. That's, that's a practical. problem that everybody has at least a couple times in their life, you know, so I'm interested about that. I'm really interested in health technology and how, uh, I was talking with guys the other day that made a stethoscope that can listen to your heart and like Shazam, tell you if you have a heart murmur, AFib, heart, you know, it listens wow. to your different rhythms of your heart. It's like an EKG, portable EKG. In a stethoscope. In a stethoscope, interesting. So it's a smart stethoscope, and the idea is that you don't use it at home, doctors use it, but the med wand at CES, you can, you could have that same smart stethoscope technology embedded in the med wand, you have it at home, it communicates to a Your medical doctor. professional anywhere in the world that can say, you're having arrhythmia, you need to go to an emergency room right now, or, you know, there are- What do you think about the, the idea to, to load balance, the availability of professional input for your particular situation. In other words, like you, this, this is a beautiful example. Something's wrong with you, and there's electrodes or devices that are connected to you, and you could get a thousand opinions from doctors all over the world. What do you think about that? Do you think that would increase the quality of life for individuals, or do you think uh, eating less bur burgers will? <laughs> Both. I think. I think. I that, love burgers, um, by the way. If, <laughs> same, same. I love hamburgers. Love them. The beef. beef um, type too. All about the beef. Um, I think that if you could make a pill that would exercise and eat right for you, wow. that would be a wildly successful product. Oh my God, that would be <laughs> right. That would dream be, come true. But we don't have that. We have free will which we also in America covet. Thank God. So, yeah, so uh, although it's funny, so I'm gonna go off on a complete tangent right now. We think we have free will. I like tangents. But we have these smartphones that are collecting data points. Every single thing we do say or location that we go to, how is that free will? We're not free when we're allowing something to collect all of our personal data and sell it all the time, you know, and use it for whatever way they want to use right. it. So that's tangent, but because we're all about freedom and yet we very, very quickly, easily, and uh, you know, knowingly and unknowingly give away that freedom. So um, back to the question. Well, what do of, you say about companies? I'll play a devil's advocate. Yeah. Who say like Facebook, you don't have to use our service. You go somewhere else. That's true. I think that that's absolutely true. But everyone's doing it anyway. There's nowhere to. There's, there aren't real alternatives. I think. Do we need, that do not collect yeah. data? Yeah. And we're also so many of these companies uh, had psychiatrists and psychologists use very addictive um, means to get us to like Facebook. I go on Facebook really truly to check out what my friends and, and colleagues and family are doing. Facebook should make it easier to just keep in touch. They say they do, it's not easy. We get ads, all of that. I would rather pay two bucks a month to not get any ads on Facebook than to have to see ads. And they tell me the reason they haven't done this is because then someone who couldn't afford $2 per month wouldn't have the same experience as me. Right. Have you ever bought anything from a Facebook ad or a Google ad? I have, ad? I actually have. I bought um, the... Uh, uh, Quip toothbrush is the best thing I've ever bought ever from any kind of Facebook ad or Google <laughs> ad. I've bought a lot of things that haven't been very good and um, I'm trying to think of, I bought um, socks, what, 
Bombas Socks also on Facebook. So yeah, I mean, I do like the convenience of it showing me the things I wanna see before I have to go search all over for them. But back to your question about, um, you know, a thousand data points. I mean, that's kind of what Google is right. already. Doctor, we all get diagnosed by Dr. Google on a daily basis Dr. for better WebMD. or worse, right? And I have been able to diagnose little things here and there when other, before doctors could, or, you know, being frustrated that I keep going and nobody knows why I have this bump on my face. And finally I Google it and figure it out for myself. Um, doctors don't like that. No, they hate that. But um, to Ronnie, back to, you know, comedian Ronnie Chang's thing about, you know, who knew that putting all of the knowledge into the palm of our hands or at our fingertips would make us really freaking stupid, but that's kind of what it's done. So if there's a way to help a doctor diagnose a medical issue and, and help you get access to that medical care you need, I'm all for it, but we haven't figured out a clean way to do that. And oftentimes, the problem with having medical diagnostic tools in your hands is that you don't seek the care that you need. And then there's that whole problem of being able to pay for it. Right. So it's not an easy answer or solution. What do you think about Tesla? A lot of my colleagues have them. And um, I thought it was really interesting recently, uh, one of them was trying to drive it to CES and it needed an update. And he went to update it you know, at his hotel and overnight, but it's still, the computer wasn't updated by the time it came time to leave in the morning. You know, they're, they're still glitchy. Right. And um, my iPhone is still glitchy. My iPad is still glitchy. So realizing that too is kind of scary. I, w I wouldn't, I've ridden in self-driving cars and they're much better drivers than me, but I'm still a little nervous about a lot of that. What do you think is the future of virtual reality? Do you think we're gonna live in a dystopian world where we essentially live in a capsule and everything in the world is kind of projected to us? And do you think it's a good thing for society? No, I don't think that that's a good thing for society. I think some people will absolutely live like that. I think some people do live like that. Already. Already. I think- I know a few actually. Yeah. And I would be hard pressed to ever leave my couch if I wore the VR headsets enough. Um, they are incredible and the technology is incredible. What I think their strengths are, are for teaching emergency room doctors, um, like pediatric emergency room doctors, to go through scenarios in as much of a real situation as possible without having to practice on kids. Um, I. My crazy idea yeah. is to use VR and send a rocket into Mars and with VR build a habitat with robotics. Send a robot out there yeah. and have the robot have be connected yeah. to your VR system. Say, all right, I'm gonna put this here, I'm gonna put that there and start building some sort of habitat. Then would you go? And then yeah, okay. have like an army of robots and everyone's on VR building like some sort of city and then we go there. So kind of have the robots set everything up for us. I it's like crazy, real life, real life Minecraft. Exactly. I kind of like it's that. It's kind of like Avatar. Yeah, I like yeah. that idea. Yeah. Um, I wish we could do more with VR to help educate people. So if somebody says, you know, I don't understand why, you know, they, uh, an African American wants these privileges that I as a white man can't get. Well, here, 
let's put VR on. Let, let's take you for a stroll down the street as a black man. Wow, that's interesting. Because that's a so really, really different experience from your stroll down the street as a white man in many, many cases. Um, there was VR at Sundance three years ago, four years ago, where it showed you a VR perspective from a cop and from an unarmed black man in a fatal shooting. Wow. And boy, really if cool. you, it was so cool. And I wish everybody had to watch that. I really, and you're, really cool. as you're going through it, I mean, your heart's racing. Like you can all of a sudden see how these horrific mistakes happen from both perspectives. That is the true value and meaning for me at that VR is a really good versus sitting on your couch and getting everything delivered to Educational. you. Educational. Yeah. Yeah empathy, education, life experience, that if you don't have enough money to, or any means to travel. VR will close that gap. Yeah, VR could. And, and then I'm seeing VR used for elderly who are shut in and locked in to give them more of an experience of the world, taking them back to their home they grew up in. And it's just so sweet and I, precious I, and meaningful. I love that idea. I think VR, I love everything to do with education. Education is the most important thing to me. And not only academic wow. education, but life education. Yeah, life experience. Life experience, right. right. And so I, I remember uh, putting on a headset, a VR headset, and it was uh, the content was what it is to live as a schizophrenic. And with the whole earphones and everything. And by the end of it, my heart was kind of pounding. I was like, wow. It's, it's, and you have more empathy. Right. So when you interact with them, you understand in a smarter way what they're going through. And you're able to become a, a better person interacting with people like that. Too. So racial issues that could really help with. We live in an area here in West Oakland. There's a lot of homeless people all around. What do you think about the homeless problem in the oh Bay Area? Oh, my God. And I Los think... Angeles is really bad, too. And it's, I travel a lot to Chicago, New York, there? Atlanta. It's, it's there, it's bad. Everywhere. I've uh, never seen so many homeless people on the either. streets of New York. Um, and again, it's a very multifaceted problem, but I think that companies around here, like Apple, the earnings was how many billions of dollars? I think, you know, they've committed two billion toward finding some solutions to this rampant homelessness. Um, do the you homeless think situation, a, I don't think it's enough. But do you think it's a financial solution or do you think it's a mental health or behavioral it's education? Multi -faceted. Yeah. It's multifaceted. Some, some of it is, uh, so much of it is mental health, I think. A lot of it is um, uh, resource, mental health. Imagine a, a drug addiction. So I just think it's, it's part of mental health. Right, it's, really it's multifaceted. Yeah. And if your brain doesn't work, in a way that functions well in society, what is your alternative? What happened to psych wards, though? They used to have psych wards. Well, it, People, yeah. yeah, they they the use jails now for psych wards. I find. If you're lucky, <laughs> I, really, really, no, you're, because you're if right. you're lucky, what are your choices? There's a gentleman living on the ground across the street who is obviously schizophrenic. Where does he go? And a lot of people that I've spoken with over the years who are homeless. If you can't go to a shelter, if you get abused in a shelter, like where, what are your alternatives? If I didn't have the family that I have, where would I go? What would I do? Where would That's I why be? families are so important to me. Yeah. I think the idea of having families really help a lot. And community, I think, has to create And community. Family. I mean, community is an extension of families. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's a big family. So that's the scary part. If you put on VR glasses and you're living all alone, where's your community? Where's your family? Gamers, a lot of gamers 
and people who are really, you know, people on Reddit, that's their community, that's their family. Right. So there is, there are often pros and cons to all of it. Yeah, but I feel like people make artificial communities all over the world. Yeah. Which they have no contact with. And so Trolls. at the end of the day, <laughs> what, what value does someone who lives in uh, Brussels, even though you, you have everything in common, really, what kind of impact does that have for you in, in the real world? I, I think none. I really does not. I, I feel like people are looking for something, the grass is greener on the other side through the internet to connect with people they think they might find. But why don't they talk to their, for example, neighbors? I think when I lived in places like Texas and small towns, people do that. Mm -hmm. Like when I lived in Texas, my neighbor introduced themselves. And if you ever you're gone, we're going to look over your home. You know, I, I thought yeah. that was really great. And when I lived in LA, nobody talks to you, especially if you live on the same block and you'll never yeah. see them again. And so what do you think about that? Do you think people should focus more on organic local communities or in, uh, internet, digital, artificial ones? I think it's hard to be in either or situation because I think a lot of people get something from their online community that they lack in real life. Right. I think if you go all or nothing um, toward that though, that it's detrimental no matter how you slice it. I mean, I, I think it is important to be able to speak to people. It drives me crazy when my daughter won't pick up the phone a minute. <laughs> you know, you have these generations of kids who really Just don't text. know how to talk on a phone or yeah, they text all the time. Did you called me? Why'd you call me? Oh man, right? <laughs> my daughter used to hate to talk on the phone and finally she's getting better at it. But um, yeah, I think that I mean, I use Facebook, like my best friend died recently and, and I made that public announcement on Facebook and got a lot of comfort and solace from the reaction to that, that I didn't necessarily get in, in this world because right. nobody really knows him right. and, you know, other than my family who's incredible, but you don't walk down the street and say, everybody be nice to me for a second because I'm going through something really shitty. And you can have that moment on Facebook that if all the stars are aligned, it works that way. And that's the magic of a Facebook or an Instagram or not so much Twitter anymore, but that's the magic of Twitter's those online communities. really political. Everyone it seems like they hate each other there. Yeah, it's, it's easy to it's hate. It, it's, it brings out the best and the worst, unfortunately. Yeah, you know? I mean, uh, when Kobe Bryant yeah. just died, I saw, I saw really nasty stuff on Twitter from people that I followed and I actually liked and they said some really nasty things. I'm like, wow, that's how, kind of strange. How pressured do you feel to be on social media in your line of work? I mean, I have to. If you're not on social media, you don't exist. Yeah, I'm barely on it anymore. Yeah, I yeah. use it very sparingly now because I got so burned out and I could hire somebody to do it for me, but then it's not me. Exactly. And they know it's not you. Yeah. There's something about it that the way you write, the way you think, you, you, nobody could really replicate. But that human is a full-time job. It is a full-time job. I don't job. know how you do it. I don't know how people do it. Two in the well, morning, I'm there. Yeah. And what happens? I know what happens <laughs> when you're not. That's I know. That's that's there comes a day when you can't be everywhere at once. Damn. What do you think about the idea that when people pass away? They're going to create artificial holograms of you oh, with an AI that's so supposed weird. to repeat and know everything you've ever liked on Facebook and Google and everything. 
What do you think about that? Do you think it's a moral thing, a good thing? People might get comfort from that, like from a, a someone who's passed away, a family member. I would member. love to talk to someone to who's passed away. My friends who and family who weren't here anymore. I would love that. Like, hey, I what think, do you think about this? Or just to hear their. I mean, I save voice messages, and just recently lost a best friend and. First thing I did was go back and, and I had five voice messages that I saved immediately because I don't want to not ever hear his voice again. So I think that that's precious. I think it's a precious way to remember somebody like a photograph or a video or a, you know, voice recording is. Um, I think that's just kind of that next, it's the next level of evolution a- of memories. Um, yeah, it's weird. It's all weird, but it's all weird. Thinking about making video phone calls was like weird. stuff of crazy science fiction, yeah. right? <laughs> now time travel, that is something I would love to do. Really, where, where yeah. would you go? Oh God, if I could, it depends. If I went back and talked to myself younger, I would. Just tell myself to chill out and not worry about all the things that you worry about when you're a teenager. Um, I'd go back to a few weeks ago, the last time I saw my friend, and I don't know, would I hold on a little longer in that hug? I'm not, you know? Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. In terms of periods of life, oh my God, I'd love to go back to 1888 and see what was going on here when this house was built. <laughs> Do you know what happened? No, I know nothing about it, and I'd love to find out things like that. but. Do you have records of the owners from back then? No. You can't go back? Some, I think we will. We haven't yet. Um, What was Oakland like in this area back then? This area of Oakland, this was where the East to West Railroad ended. So this was where people, anyone moving out West, this was the end of the railroad. So, So all the way from New York? Yeah. To the West Coast, this was. And if you haven't seen that old railroad station, you should. It's the same person who uh, designed, the same designer of Grand Central Station designed this, and it's incredible. It is completely surrounded with homeless camps. It's <laughs> it's just a few blocks from here, yeah. and it's beautiful. Um, but this was where a lot of, of black people moved, maybe up from Texas, out from the East. And this was in this area, the first Black Porters Union was formed. A lot so there's a lot of history. Who, um, Huey Newton died right around the corner from here. I mean, it's wow. a lot of history and it's a lot of black culture and black history that, you know, being the, the gentrifier, the white gentrifier moving into the neighborhood, I really hope doesn't go away. I hope we don't for that and how to do it in a way that is responsible. Is, is our daily... Six months ago, I remember I interviewed locals in uh, Oakland and Lake Merritt, and uh, the number one thing they would all talk about is gentrification, gentrification. I was like, I was like, what are you interested in? They just kept talking about that. I was, thought it was kind of strange. Well, it's scary. I mean, if dot-com millionaires now come and buy up these houses, which they are... Oh, yeah, I know, I know people uh, who work out in Silicon Valley fly with a helicopter and say, I want that one, I want that home over there, I want that home. And so does that mean that the our neighbor we love our na- we've met our neighbors and love our neighbors. Does I that mean they place. don't have a place to live anymore? Like that is a huge concern. You know, where do you, we are 
so many decades into pushing people out, and that's a big concern Capitalism. for us. My daughter is was very concerned about us moving here for to as gentrifiers and right. doing something bad for this community, and and we haven't figured out how to not how how to make our presence here be a good thing for this entire community. But we're working on figuring that out, right. and we're talking to everybody who will speak with us about it. Cool about that. I, I have like I think that. Although I did have that interview a couple months ago, I think it's I think people should be allowed to live anywhere they want, and I don't think what your skin color really should matter. I think if you're white, black, purple, green, you want to live somewhere, I think everyone should just welcome each other. That's the way I think, though. I I think so many of us. Maybe I'm too hippie, though. Well, so many of us <laughs> think that, but then that's not I know, a reality. Are, like right. if you grow up, there's projects right on the other side of the elementary school here. Right. If you grow up in those projects, those are there are people who have not left this like eight block radius ever in their lives. Right. They only know poverty. They only know abuse. They only know the criminal system. Like what? What if that was your only experience? What if you Horrible. didn't have a mother and a father and nobody ever taught you right from wrong? Like, it's so hard to put, to it, it, it's really difficult to think about, you know, how the color of your skin does play a role right. in your life experience, no matter what. I remember in uh, Venice Beach, when I first moved there, <clears throat> Google had purchased an area you know, Google's yeah. in Venice Beach, and so they needed they needed lots of tech workers there. And they um, what they, they took, call that Silicon Beach? Yes, yeah, Silicon area? Beach. Yeah. yeah. So they got like these projects where there used to be impoverished people. They they bought the place and they refer they, they remodeled everything and they made them into like really fancy apartments. And I lived there, I think for like a 500 square foot apartment. I was paying 3,500 bucks a month or something. But half of it was redone, and then the other half was still had the people who were there in the projects and I, I constantly and they had security there so they would keep the poor people out of the other people's area and I I, I mean I, I work hard for my money I didn't mind paying for what I was paying but at the same time I know this lady that was there with her child in a stroller and she wanted to use the facilities in the new and improved area like the the, the, uh, the pool and the jacuzzi and the, all the cool stuff and securities security guards would come up to her and say, you can't be here, you need to go back. And so I understand that's kind of weird, but where do you draw the line? I mean, yeah, I, I don't, it's just like- I'm more socialist in that, you know, I think there should be a greater equality in, in resources, whether it's education or healthcare. Or, I think it's education is like the biggest thing. I, I agree with you on that. Education is like a big, big divider between people. Huge. It really is. And that's not to say you can't be brilliant not having a college education because I know many brilliant people right. who don't have a college education. Right. But you do have to have access. Just, can you imagine what it's like? Like, I have always had enough food to eat. Can you imagine what it's like not to have food? Right. Not to have water. Not, I mean, people in people this area are living with that and oh, yeah. in those daily stressors and that's rough but at what point i know these these are controversial topics I usually, oh they're so controversial, i usually don't talk the, about them this but, is what we talk about so this is pretty much in this house i think it's the house brings it out in you because yeah. this is what we talk about especially when my daughter's home from yeah. college this is what we talk about all the time really i usually I love it but it's good it's cool yeah. i mean I feel like people just judge everybody else too much, right? Oh, I, absolutely. And I think it's controversial, though. I think if it goes one way, one direction, 
then it's okay. But if it's the other way, it's not okay. And I think that double standard, I think, is, is hypocritical. I think people should be allowed to live anywhere they want. They shouldn't be judged. You know, I, I'm almost 50 years old, and I have worked more than one job my since I was seven. Um, and people often tell me I work like freakishly hard and I do I like people are like oh how'd you get where you are work, well work hard. harder than everyone else that's, that's, that's where <laughs> I that's where I come from that's that's, but... that's where I come from I meet people who come from a family like you mentioned who, who sometimes didn't have food on the table sometimes their electricity was shut down and I've never experienced that yeah but someone else has but they're incredibly successful because they worked hard as an individual they worked so so the but question is... But sometimes hard work isn't enough. And sometimes, and especially where mental illness comes in or any kind of... Well, mental illness could, is different. Or just being on the spec, just being othered in some way that you right. can't really work all the time. Like that, I don't really want to um, discriminate against somebody who's not physically able or mentally able I mean, excluding to work that, as hard right. as me. I mean, ex yeah. so generally speaking, exceptions excluded. Yeah. I, I believe that most people are able to work themselves out of a bad situation. I don't know. I was watching one of those shows about like life behind bars, mm -hmm. and you see these kids who are raised in crime and and right. poverty, and I mean they don't even know how they don't even can't even get that far. You know, if you're doing, I never had to work only minimum wage jobs and try to get ahead that way. I'm not sure what I would have done if I had. You know, I had the ability to talk my way into a, a decent paying job or something. So it's hard because you, I, you probably would. I mean, yeah. you probably would. I mean, if you, if you were given a minimum wage job, you probably would have gotten a better one because you would have worked harder. I used to cover um, various homeless issues a lot as a reporter. And, you know, I, it, there, it's just really complicated. I mean, I remember one man telling me once that, he, like that bird that you saw outside your window, yeah. he didn't want keys because keys meant a certain sort of lack of freedom for him. Was he saying he was homeless by choice? No. Was he making the bet? Like he sort of made it into something sustainable for him. But I don't think anybody chooses to be homeless. There, really there's people don't. who like it though. They're like they're uh, beach bums. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I, I've heard them. I, I don't know. Like those it's, surfers it's in tough... Santa Cruz. They're like, well, they're not technically homeless. Right. But, yeah. And do they have yeah. homes to go home yeah. to when mom and dad will take them back in? Or right. you know, like right. God, I just can't imagine. You're talking about someone who has no options and they just have to be on the street. Yeah. Yeah. And there are times in my life when that could have happened had I not had a family, a family right. or, you know, there was a, a week or two as a single struggling single mom that, you know, thank God I like, I actually broke into my daughter's piggy bank, you know, when she was three years old to buy groceries once, you know, right. like there, it, it's, we're all closer than we think. There are moments that's, that we're closer than we think. And, and think. that if, our families or friends or people weren't there to support us, who knows, you know, there, but by the grace of God kind of thing, you know, I, I do feel very privileged. I do feel incredibly lucky um, 
for right. so, so many reasons, but also just lucky that it's in my DNA to work really hard, too. That's what I believe in. That's my perspective. Um, I, be yeah. I believe that, you know, hard there's a DNA for hardworking pe people, but like you said, sometimes that's not enough for, in certain circumstances. Or what if you're too ADD to be able to do a job from the morning till the afternoon? Oh, like, that sounds like me. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, there's this whole world of us highly functional ADD people, but... You know, we have managed make it work. to make it work in this society. Could you make a living from this? Yeah. From podcasting? Yeah. It's part of it. I don't know how to do that. It's a component. <laughs> it's, a, it's a whole it's a yeah. whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I want to learn that skill from you. That's yeah. that's actually what it, that's the whole thing of Because this do. is the coolest thing ever. It's Just great, to be able right? to sit and talk well, and ask questions and feel. A lot of times in, in um, interviews, in casual situations, I'm very apologetic. Like yeah. I was, our neighbor was here yesterday and I'm a, and I want to ask all these questions, but I don't want to be rude or pushy right. or, or, you know, like yeah. I know sometimes have to turn the reporter brain off. I love their permission to just talk. Oh, I love it. And That's yeah. actually why I love to do it too. And I really do feel like I live in a, in this kind of silo of working at home in my pajamas. So I love hearing that something helps somebody or resonates with somebody. According to the uh, uh, American Stress Institute, work is a number one stressor of Americans, adults, oh, and American yeah. stre uh, of stress. So. Work stress is the biggest component of stress in general. Yeah. And stress is linked to, you know, six different major diseases, heart disease, lung disease, all this other stuff. I don't have answers to a lot of these issues, but I'm talking about them, and I think that's a big part of the next step in trying to find the solutions. Yeah, I mean, we're going to travel to Europe. I do want to go to Egypt and see the pyramids. Have you seen that? No. I want to do that. To. What, yeah, I mean, what's been your experience at, when you traveled? We looked at going to the um, Republic of Congo, and I finally decided I didn't wasn't safe enough for me and my friend, who's a woman, white. Well, she's actually Native Alaskan, but she looks—you can't really tell. And um, yeah, we decided it was too dangerous. I mean, it's scary. So, what, what, what do you think about that, though? Like, I want to go travel. Yeah. Do you think it's safe to go to these? Have you traveled like Middle Eastern countries? I've never been to a Middle Eastern country. I was all over Russia when it was still the USSR, and, mm -hmm. and oh, that was wow, really? awesome. You have great stories, probably. Oh my God. From reporting? Um, I was not. I was 18 and rode a bicycle over the Caucasus Mountains, and it was before the fall of communism, and that was just absolutely So, so it was like insane. Georgia, you kind yeah, of Yeah, Tbilisi. Tbilisi. Georgia. Um, uh, where else were we? Um, flew into Moscow. You had to at the time. But yeah, just Georgia, Tbilisi specifically, Patigorsk, like just all these places that there, sure. Americans hadn't gone. And, and we were, we, you know, had to, we knew that two of our handlers were KGB. And it was really hard to, my mom was just telling me the other day, you never really talked about that trip because it was really intense. hard and intense yeah. to talk about. Um, so hey. I, I've been there. I've My been name is Trio. Vladimir. Yeah, <laughs> I did. I had some guys try to grab me and kidnap me and it was my other 18 year old guy friends were holding onto my legs and they were pulling my arms like it was crazy. <laughs> but, um, you know, I grew up in the time of, of uh, 
Rocky movies and stuff oh, yeah. and propaganda, that, like yeah. massive amounts of propaganda against Rocky, Russia. Though. I yeah, like right? that propaganda. So all I could think when I was riding my bicycle through some of the most beautiful areas I'd ever even imagined, um, all I could think was like, holy crap, like this is the part that you don't get to see. Right. And um, so I've the only other kind of dangerous place I was at the DMZ in oh. Korea. You were there many years ago. Wow, that's and really cool. That was, yeah. But I think, man, talk about. I think education, travel, mm-hmm. is one of the it's biggest, the most important yeah. parts of be. education. And I, you know, I would go to the Middle East if I had the chance. Absolutely, I went to Cuba and loved it, and it reminded me a lot of Russia 30 years ago. Really? Well, yeah. It's, it's like it's stuck in the past, right? Don't they have yeah. cars from the 50s? Oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, but also just that the resilience and and brightness of the people, even living under communism, it was really interesting. Right. I've been considering my husband is tri citizenship. He's got a Chilean passport, a Great British passport, and American. And now that we're married, I was thinking about trying to get a Chilean or GB passport myself, just to not have to be the American everywhere I go. Right. So you can, yeah, yeah, that's a good yeah. one. Yeah. Yeah. It's it, a good idea because it takes a stigma away from the American. Yeah, my, my, yeah. I have a cousin of mine who was in the military who was stationed at Ramstein, and he would go uh, to the bars, and they would have signs that would say, no Americans. Damn Americans. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, I mean, not to get... That's yeah. the way I feel like super when I, political, but I am totally ready to move to Canada if Trump wins again. Really? <laughs> oh my God! Uh, but I said that the first time, and here I am, and still in Oakland. Crazy. I feel the same way when I go to different parts of America with my California plates or oh, another oh, Californian. Hate Californians, yeah. Everywhere I go, oh, Cal- everywhere I've been, even Washington. Oh, you're coming up here and yeah. do this and Portland. Oh, come on. I still make a point of people say, "Where are you from?" I say, "Well, I live in Oakland." But I'm from Alaska. I oh. still make that point because yeah. I'm not from California. Yeah. If you were to say I'm all, yeah, Alaskan people are cool. Everyone knows Alaskans are cool. Yes. Uh, well, a lot of people want to know about Sarah Palin from Alaska, but oh, Sarah, I can see Russia from here. Yeah. <laughs> I knew her. We worked at the same TV station up there. She was our fill-in sports anchor. Really? So I actually knew her. Hung out with her, and yeah, she's. It, I think she's. She's, I, a, she's a good example of why you need education and why you need to travel outside of your state <laughs> to manage a country. Right. Yeah. She has that Just small no town mentality. Yeah. Well, even here in California, you drive up toward Auburn or something, and you're in small town America. Oh, really yeah. Fast. There's a lot of small town here. Yeah. 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 And, and so then you've got, like, the Catholic religion. Like, you've got a Catholic. big religious thing yeah. going that you haven't really thought about and... Yeah, it's... Catholic. Have you ever thought about politics? Me? Mm-hmm. No, why? Because you're talking about all these really big issues and... I, and I used to be into that, but I, I don't anymore because I just feel people get very, um, I don't know, they get really... If you don't agree with them, they, you know... They get mean. They get mean. Yeah. Okay. Let's do this. Can we do this for a living next? Yes. This she is says, so it looks like cool. he says yes. <laughs> Are you guys hungry? I'm yes. hungry. Yes. Okay. You? So yeah. I'm gonna wrap it up. So I'm gonna wrap it up. I'm just gonna do closing. Okay. Thank you, Jennifer, for being on the show. 
Uh, where can people find more information about you and your work? You can go to my website. It's techish, T-E-C-H-I-S-H.com. Follow me across social media, whether it's Twitter, uh, Jennifer Jolly, Jen Jolly. Just Google me and you should be able to, to find out where I am and what I'm doing. Okay. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you. Thank you for listening to The Evan Weiss Show. Head over to iTunes to listen to previous shows. Questions? Email us at e at evanweiss.com.